0: Good morning, 26 West Church. How we doing? Good. It's good to be with you all. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're wondering why you have index cards and pins on your chairs... More on that in a little bit. Uh, but this is an exciting season. Uh, as, as the summer season is kind of coming to a close, falls right on the doorstep, uh, Jose's going to be with us next week, which is exciting. So be sure to uh, see that, that very tan uh, Jose as he's been in time in Jamaica and Hawaii and stuff. So in uh, a much better golf game, Jose, I can attest to. So uh, get that going on. But uh, and, uh, that'll come, that'll come uh, for next week. But today, what I want to start is a question. And the question is, has someone ever said something about you that is just flat out like wasn't true? H- have you ever been falsely represented? Yeah, it was like, of course you have, right? <laughs> like, we all have, we all have, right? Uh, and I've had my fair share. Some were, some were big things that, that proved to be untrue over time because the truth always comes out. The truth always comes out. If you're, if you're walking through this now, the truth will come out. Uh, it always does. Some things are big, but some things are small. Uh, you know, when you're misrepresented. Some things are small, but, but they still sting, right? Like when my, when my wife tells me that I've begun this new habit of snoring, uh, and I'm like, you know, I can't verify this, so I'm just going to call this slander uh, here, here this morning. I haven't heard it, so, you know, I can't prove it. Uh, but speaking of slander, speaking of slander, there is slander running amok in our midst. There, is, there are lies that are permeating this wall uh, about me. About, uh, about somebody new even to this church family. It's just how rude is going on in our midst. And so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, it's me, you're like, what is about to happen? Um, I, I'm in the, the kitchen about a month ago. And I'm just sitting there innocently just trying to eat a breakfast sandwich because uh, here's the deal. If you're serving on a serve team, we'll feed you. So come serve, and we'll feed you breakfast. you want to be there. So I'm just innocently uh, minding my own business, eating a lovely breakfast sandwich. Uh, another guy who serves uh, here, his name's Alex. We were talking, and we were talking about the glory that is Seattle Mariners baseball, because uh, it's like the first time in a million years that they've actually been a halfway decent baseball squad. And so we're talking about this. We're, we're just, we're frolicking in the favor of the Lord, is really what's that Breakfast sandwiches, baseball, we're talking about it. And then somebody walks up to me. And had the audacity to say to me, uh, uh, Stephen, and they hear we're talking about baseball and they say, Stephen, I heard a rumor. Which, if you're going to start a sentence with, I heard a rumor, you are inviting an altercation. You, you, there is a level of boldness that is about that. I heard a rumor. And all of a sudden, you're, you're DEFCON five, Like, my hairs are up on the back. Like, let's go. What's being said? And then she said something to me that every sports fan praise and fast that they will never hear in their life. She said to me, Stephen, I heard that you're just a Seattle sports fan uh, because you just moved here to the Pacific Northwest. I heard, Stephen, that you are a fair weather fan. And and I almost vomited, soiled myself, and and, and choked all at once. It would have been uh, quite the spectacle. But I held it together. I bore the fruit of the spirit of self-control, and, and, and I, I took it, I, I had an explanation for her that I'm not going to say right now, but uh, I'm not just going to ask you to take my word for it, because again, we've got to deal with this slander publicly here. Uh, I have evidence for you. I have evidence for you. I have evidence for you. Yes. That is me as an adorable baby. Do I have a problem? Yes. Uh, did I ask my parents to send me childhood photos to prove a very obscure point? Yes. Should you pray for me, because I clearly have idolatry in my heart? Yes. All of those things, uh, I have been misrepresented, and now you are all witnesses uh, to the truth that I have a problem. So uh, we're talking about things and people being misrepresented, and today what we're going to do is look at a person in the Scriptures who I think has been misrepresented and mischaracterized as well. Today we're looking at Thomas, a a, a man who gets treated as a JV disciple, let's, let's be honest, right? We call him what? Doubting Thomas. (laughs) But the irony is, the one we call Doubting Thomas is actually a model of how to faithfully deal with doubt. We're going to be in John 20. You can start turning there. But before we get there to John 20, I have another question for you this morning. And it's this Have you ever doubted your faith in Jesus? Have you ever doubted your faith in Jesus? And I'm just going to be candid here, I'll, I'll confess something to you. I'm going to be stealing a ton from one of my best friends from Arizona. His name's John Crawford. We've been processing this subject a lot. Uh, we pray together a couple times a month. We've been doing it for years. Um, and he preached a really fantastic message back at my old church. And he shared with me a recent Barna study, and it shows this: talking about doubt. It shows that two-thirds of Christians doubt or have doubted their faith. Two-thirds. Two thirds. Two thirds have doubted uh, or are doubting their faith. But I actually have an issue with this study. I think one third of people might be lying here, <laughs> because we all doubt. I, I, nearly all of us have walked through it. Uh, we're walking through it potentially now, or or we will walk through it. Either we have or we will. I doubt. You doubt. So the question is not if we will doubt, but what do we do about it? How do we deal with our doubts? so this is going to be the the single point that's going to hang over this message is what do we do with our doubts? How do we deal with our doubts? I don't have three points for you. We just got one. How do we deal with our doubts? And so let me pray and then we'll jump in. Jesus, uh, I pray. First, I just thank you that this encounter is captured in Scripture that we can learn from it, that we can be inspired by it, that we can find comfort from it. And Lord, I pray, I, I believe you've given me words to say this morning, but I pray that you would help me to deliver this. Holy Spirit, just I want to go where you want me to go as we look at your word. And so Lord, we just pray that today would be really helpful. It would be encouraging, and it would produce a deeper and stronger faith in you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You can turn with me to John 20. We're looking at verses 19 to 20 to start. You can read with me, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. John 20, 19 and 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So let's start by just setting the stage here. Uh, that first ever Easter Sunday morning, when the women find Jesus' tomb empty, the angel proclaims the glorious news that, why do you search for the living among the dead? He's not here, he has risen. The first Easter, it's amazing, it is glorious. And last week we looked at the road to Emmaus, how later that same first Easter Sunday afternoon, Jesus appeared to two disciples on the road. As we talked about last week, the great plot twist. Indeed, the one who had died is risen. And if you want to listen to a message about the implications of the resurrection, go listen to last week. But today, what we're looking at is later that same first Easter evening, Jesus here in our text, he appears to the disciples. They're locked away, hiding. And the irony is that if, if a sealed tomb guarded by some Roman soldiers ain't holding Jesus, then neither is a locked door, right? Like, if the tomb can't hold Jesus, neither is this door. And the disciples, they're overjoyed, right? Like, everything sad has coming untrue. Jesus is alive, so hope is alive. Salvation is alive. Uh, redemption is alive. And all will be well, for Jesus has conquered death. And they love Jesus, and they're exploding with joy to see him again. This, again, is the turning point of all of history. It is the heart of our faith, and Jesus is alive. This is the heart of our faith. It's the turning point of all of history. And can you imagine if you miss this moment? This is like FOMO, fear of missing out. It's its greatest nightmare, right? Like, You missed out on Jesus rising from the dead. (laughs) Like, that's a bad day. That's worse than you missing out on Bitcoin. That's worse uh, than, you know, any of this stuff. Like, can you imagine the turning point of all of history? You could have been there and you missed it. Oh, man. Rough, right? (laughs) Rough. Well, Thomas did. Thomas missed it. Keep reading, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came; he missed it. So the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." Thomas is left out; he missed out. Some of us have getting a little anxiety, thinking about FOMO right now. And he proclaims, "I'll never believe unless I touch and see." But like I said, Thomas gets a bad rap in the church. He's called Doubting Thomas, and I think we have misrepresented him. See, Thomas is not some hardened cynic. He is a grieving friend. This isn't someone trying to prove Christianity is untrue. No, this is a man who's hearing something that's too good to be true. See, Thomas loves Jesus, but Thomas watched Jesus die. It's like Thomas is saying, I fell for Jesus once, guys. Like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? It's like Thomas is saying, I I wish Jesus was alive, guys. I really do. But people don't rise from the dead. I can't go down this road unless I really see it, unless I really touch it, unless I really experience it. I just want to ask, can you blame him? But I also wonder if Thomas is hurting. I wonder if Thomas is thinking to himself, why would Jesus come when I wasn't there? Why would Jesus choose to come when I wasn't there? Does he not care about me? And like, are these guys serious? They playing some sick joke? Like, what is going on? And I'm arguing that Thomas, in the midst of these questions, is actually a faithful model of how to deal with doubt. How can I say this? Well, first, Thomas deals with doubt by not stuffing it. He doesn't stuff it. He doesn't pretend Thomas doesn't put on a face. He doesn't pretend it's all okay. He doesn't join in with the disciples and say, yeah, this is great. Like, I don't know if I believe this, but yes. Like, he doesn't fake it. See, Thomas, he's not coming to church, and when people ask you how you're doing, you smile and say, I'm doing good, but you're really dying inside. Thomas isn't doing that. Thomas isn't every week hearing that there's, you know, prayer offered in the back, and, and you know, you, you, he's not sitting there being like, I know I really need this. I know I really should go back there, but ah, it's too much. I'm just going to put on the face. I'm just going to put on the mask. I'm just going to pretend he doesn't do that. He doesn't say it's too hard, it's too embarrassing, it's too confusing. Rather than stuff it down, Thomas actually voices it. He voices his doubts. He's real. He's honest. And God invites you today to get honest, to take off the presences, to take off the mask, and to get honest with him as well, because God can handle it. And secondly, Thomas is a model for how to faithfully deal with doubt. So he's honest, but then two, Thomas brings his doubt to his community. Thomas brings his doubt to the disciples. See, Thomas, don't miss this, Thomas does not go and find another community of skeptics and cynics to go vent to and be an echo chamber of doubt. Thomas doesn't say, I got questions, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go rely on myself. I'm gonna go find a bunch of people that agree with me and think this Jesus guy is ridiculous and we're gonna all huddle up together and spur each other on in our doubt and our cynicism and I'm gonna hang out there. Instead, he stays. I mentioned my friend, John Crawford. He says this. It'll be up on the screen. He said, your biggest enemy is not your doubt. It is where you go with it. Your biggest enemy is not your doubt. It is where you go with it. I just want to say, church, we have a real enemy who wants to really isolate you and I from Christian community. He wants to destroy our faith. He wants to destroy my faith. He wants to destroy your faith. And he wants to huddle us up with a bunch of cynics who will chip away at our faith until it crumbles. And some of us are dabbling in this today. Some of us are ready to unplug from Christian community for a community of cynics. And I want to say in love and clarity that that will not deal with your doubt. That will not heal your soul. And it will only leave you wanting what I want to encourage us to do is to be like Thomas and and, and to bring our doubts to Jesus, to bring our doubts to the community of Jesus, to be real about our doubts, but to be wise about where we bring our doubts. For us as a church family and as a church culture, we need to ensure together and fight together that doubt is not some scarlet letter, That, that, that we fight together to declare that it's something that we all need to work through. It's something that we all need to be honest with. So we need to be like Thomas and bring our doubts into the light. Bring them to a band of brothers and sisters who will spur you on to walk in faith to Jesus. So again, your biggest enemy is not your doubt. It's where you go with it. But if we're going to faithfully, truly, and honestly deal with our doubt, then we need to deal with the roots and the reasons for our doubt. Our doubt. And I'll tell you, I've been a a pastor on college campus and in the local church for over 12 years, and I've seen three common reasons and roots that ultimately, I think, drive our doubts. Uh, There could be much more than this, but I think there are three primary big buckets, three reasons and roots that drive our doubt. They'll be up on the screen. Number one is pain and suffering. Pain and suffering can drive us to doubt. You get that cancer diagnosis. And the natural question is, does God even care about me? Is God in control? If he is, why would he allow this to happen? Is God even good? The disappointment. We suffered another miscarriage. We can't get pregnant. And yet there's all these people that can, that don't even want children. What is going on, God? Do you even see me? Do you care about me? What is going on, God? Are you good? When we experience loss or betrayal, that adultery, that slander, all of it can drive us to doubt the goodness of God, the power of God, the care of God, and the truth of God himself. So pain and suffering can drive us to doubt. But number two, legitimate questions can drive us to doubt as well. Questions like, is Jesus really the only way? Is the Bible really true? How can a loving God send people to hell? Hasn't science disproved Christianity? And I want to say that every single one of those questions is a legitimate question. That you're not an idiot for thinking. That every single one of us that say we're followers of Jesus, we need to feel like we have actually good answers to these questions. These are all questions that we should be wrestling with. And if that's you, I want to invite you to to coffee. If you're sitting here being like, man, I'm really wrestling with this. I know I've wrestled with all of these questions. And ultimately, as I said last week, Jesus does not invite us into a blind faith. He invites us to faith, but not a blind faith. And I have found reasons for believing all of these. And I want to invite you that if you're wrestling right now, uh, I'd love to invite you to coffee. I'd also love to invite you to come to Alpha. It's something we're going to be launching uh, at the end of next month. And the entire point of Alpha is a place for people that are skeptical or just like, I don't know what I believe in. I'm not sure if I even believe this thing, but I have a lot of questions. It's a place for you to bring your questions. And so that'll be starting up here in literally a month. If you have any questions on that, I'll be at the Get Connected table. I'd love to talk to you. Alpha is a great place to wrestle with these legitimate questions. That can drive us to doubt. But number three, there's a third area and that's church hurt. I just want to say so many people have been burned by the church. And if that's you, I want to say thank you for just being here today. Because you just being here today is a step of faith. Thank you for being here. I also want to say that as a pastor, I'm sorry that the place that should have been a place of healing for you was a place that wounded you. It's not right. Things in the church, yes, they can get messy because people are messy and sadly people can get hurt. But I also know that many of us have been hurt by abusive leaders, by dysfunctional churches, by manipulative pastors who mishandle scripture. And I want to tell you that this is all wrong. It is evil. It is demonic. It does not reflect the heart of God. It is not the way of Jesus. It should be opposed. And all of this can drive us to doubt. I want to say this is all real. Everything I say, it is in the room right now. And everything, Stephen, how do you know that it's in the room right now? And I say, I know it's in the room because it's in me. All three of these, I confess to you, I've struggled with at various points in my life. I've walked through pain. I'll be honest with you, when, when we got the diagnosis with our son with the rare brain disease, some of the first questions that I was wrestling with was, is God good? Does he see me? Like, what is going on? Like, how, how can God, if you're in all, if you're in control, why are you letting? Me? And I've got the theological answers. <laughs> and I, I wrestle with that. I, I've wrestled with legitimate questions. I've been burned by the church. That first question I asked, have you ever been misrepresented? That happened to me in the church, guys. The truth did come out, but it stung. I know that some of us were hurting. But bringing my doubts to Jesus and working through my doubts in the community of Jesus has strengthened my faith. It has not weakened it. And I stand up here with a stronger faith because of working through my doubts, not stuffing them, not neglecting them, not ignoring them. Pastor Tim Keller says that any deep faith actually requires working through doubt. So let's be like Thomas and let's do it faithfully. Let's see what he does next, verse, verse 26. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Before we get into that interaction between Thomas and Jesus, I want us to notice something. I want us to notice that Thomas is still there with the disciples, right? It says, a week later, and Thomas was with them. Do not miss that. Thomas, his questions have not been answered. Things have not been resolved. His circumstances have not changed. But Thomas is there. Jesus doesn't find Thomas isolated, quitting. He doesn't find Thomas in a community of cynics, venting. Instead, we see him in the community of faith, waiting, wrestling, and Jesus comes into that space and notice also that this really feels like deja vu, right? As you read that. Like the doors are locked, Jesus shows up, he says peace will be with you, and then Jesus offers Thomas the most amazing invitation. He says touch. He says see. He says believe. And I want us to notice that Jesus doesn't shame Thomas. Like what tone do you picture? When Jesus like comes in, right? This isn't Jesus like kicking down the door. Like, where's Thomas? I got a word for him, right? Like he's not, he's not mad. This isn't Jesus like, you know, venting at, at, at Thomas. He's not pissed off. He's not angry. He doesn't lecture him and say, why don't you believe in me? He's not kicking down doors. He's not breaking down walls. This isn't the Kool-Aid man, you know, like busting through a brick wall, which by the way, cool. I don't have kids old. Is Kool-Aid still a thing? The Lord, the Lord's favor has been upon us in this place. The Lord reigns. Kool-Aid is still a thing. Jesus doesn't say, you idiot. You know, he doesn't he doesn't go on Instagram live, tag Thomas, start hashtag Doubting Thomas and says you fool and just dunk all over him and mock him. He doesn't drag him through the mud. He doesn't do any of that, right? No. Jesus invites him to come and see. And that's what I that, The provision, the love, the care of Jesus is incredible. See, the exact thing Thomas declares that he needs. To believe in Jesus, actually Jesus provides. And don't miss this. Thomas doesn't deserve this. He hasn't earned this, nor is he entitled this, but Jesus graciously gives it. Because Jesus loves Thomas and wants him to believe. I was going to say, how kind of Jesus to do this. It's amazing. I'm moved by Jesus' kindness here to Thomas because it reminds me that in spite of me, in spite of my doubts, in spite of all that I've said and done, Jesus had been so kind to me. And this is my story. This is our story collectively. And on this note about Jesus' kindness, the scriptures say that God's kindness leads to repentance, that God's kindness leads to change, that God's kindness leads to faith. And we see this reality in Action with Jesus and Thomas. I think we also need to notice, this is how other people change too. By kindness, not by shaming them, not by slandering them, not by, not by dragging them through the mud. We can't manipulate people into change. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Would we model that in, in the way that we engage with others as well? Jesus' kind, clear, intentional call we see to stop doubting and start believing. And what happens, right? Read it again, verse 27. And then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. The irony is that doubting Thomas turns into believing Thomas, right? Like probably a more accurate name for Thomas should be proclaiming Thomas, believing Thomas. This is who he is. And the irony is that the disciple with the greatest doubt, the disciple with the greatest doubt makes the boldest proclamation of faith. It's incredible. We find in the Gospels, this is maybe the most bold proclamation of who Jesus is. Thomas exclaims to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Thomas proclaims that Jesus is the King, that He is Lord, and that He is God. That God Himself has come in Jesus to save His people and to redeem His world. This is who Jesus is. Amen? My Lord and my God. That doubting Thomas turns into believing Thomas. It's incredible. See, encountering the risen Jesus changed Thomas. Encountering Jesus turned Thomas's doubt into confident worship. Encountering Jesus changed the entire tra- trajectory of Thomas' life. It's amazing. Church history tells us that Thomas believed in the risen Jesus. He answered the risen Jesus' call to go and ma- make disciples of all, all nations. We see that uh, later in church history, we see that Thomas he actually obeyed and followed Jesus the rest of his life. Church history tells us that Thomas went all the way to India, proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, making the disciples, and today you'll still find many churches in India that trace their roots back to Thomas. Encountering Jesus changed Thomas's life. Encountering the risen Jesus changed the entire trajectory of his life, and our world was changed because of it. See, Jesus, he loves to use the weak. He loves to use the doubting. He loves to use the stumbling to do great things in his kingdom. There's a long list of folks. C.S. Lewis doubted deeply, and God turned him inarguably the greatest defender of the faith in the last century. Charles Spurgeon, who's called the prince of preachers, he suffered with severe depression and doubt. John Calvin and Martin Luther, two of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, doubted. Mother Teresa was a model of Jesus' sacrificial love, and she also dealt with doubt. And the list could go on and on and on. And some of you in this room today, you are doubting today. And God is going to do great things through you for His kingdom. Some of you are thinking right now that your doubt disqualifies you from doing great things for God. And you don't realize that your doubt may actually be the very prerequisite to doing great things for God. For some of us in this room, God is going to use your working through your doubts to lead you to a deeper place of dependence and trust in God that will lead to greater kingdom impact for God. See, Jesus, he turned Thomas's doubt into confident worship and into kingdom impact. I want to say he can do the exact same thing for you. He can do the same for you. Thomas encountered the risen Jesus and his entire life changed. And like we've said this entire series, the series is called Encountering Jesus, that's what happens when we encounter the risen Christ. Our lives change. And our prayer is that you and I, that we would also encounter the risen Jesus through His living Word, and that you and I, we would be collectively transformed, renewed, and changed. For God's glory, Our joy in the good of the world. This is our prayer that you and I we would encounter Jesus through his word. And that he would even encounter us today in our place of doubt. Not with shame, but with an invitation to come and see. To come and see. Let's keep reading. As Jesus has a word not only for Thomas, but he actually has a word for you and I today as well. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, then Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. And I would say, This is us. This is you. This is me. This is us. Jesus is saying this about us. We haven't seen. We can't put our hands in his literal wounds, we can't hear his literal words, Peace be with you. But we can still believe. Jesus says that those of us who don't see and yet believe that we indeed are blessed, let us rest in that. Let us cling to that. Let us lean on that life-giving word over us today. And the big idea over all this, the big idea in all of this is that how do we deal with our doubt? What do we actually do with our doubts? How do we deal with it? Because I, I think for all of us, we resonate with that, with that, with that man who, who came to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. We all resonate with that. We all feel in our bones that we're this mixture of confidence and doubt, of belief and doubt all at once. And we feel like we oscillate between the two, even daily, right? So the real question is what do we do with our doubt? What does it look like to fight for belief in the midst of doubt? And what I'm going to do is I want to get practical with this. I got a list here of a few things uh, for us to actually take practical steps to apply and live out uh, faithfully in ways to deal with doubt. So let's just go through them. Number one, let's be real. Uh, The old saying goes, sin is like mold, it grows best in the dark. And I believe doubt's the same. Doubt is like mold, it grows best in the dark. So the first charge I want to say is be, be real, be honest. Let us bring our doubts into the light. Let us bring them into the light. Let us be honest about them. Let us not stuff them down. Let us be real with them. And two, let us be in community and let's bring our doubts into the community of Jesus. Let us get a community of people around us who love Jesus, that follow Jesus, are not gonna shame us for our doubts, but are gonna point to Jesus uh, in our doubts, who love us too much, just let us sit in our doubts, but actually will proclaim good news to us in the midst of our doubts. Do we have a community like that? Are you in a community group? I, again, just want to invite you to Alpha. The entire point of it is to ask questions, to wrestle with them, and to encounter Jesus. So let us be real. Let us be in community. And number three, let us get in the Bible. Let us get in the Bible. And there, there's this question that we've got to ask ourselves and say, like, what is reality? And we want to say that our doubts are real, but there's something even more real than our doubts, than our feelings, than our thoughts, and it is the very Scriptures of God. As a reality we want to, as the scriptures say, to take every thought captive. What do we do when we doubt? Do we feed that or do we feed our faith? Do we, do we get in the Bible or do we get and just marinate on our doubts? What are we going to give our, our minds to? What are we going to give thought to? What are we going to give intentional time towards? What are we going to give uh, uh, food towards, if you will? Are we going to feed our minds with scriptures? Or are we going to feed our minds with doubt? Let us take every thought captive and ultimately uh, submit ourselves not to our feelings, but submit ourselves to the scriptures, Which gets to number four: Would we be real? Would we be in community? Would we get in the Bible, and would we number four? Would we doubt our doubts? Because when I'm in that hospital room and I'm thinking to myself, I get this horrible diagnosis, and I think to myself, "Does God even care about me? Is God good? is that I have, a, I have a decision to make. Am I going to doubt the character of God? Am I going to doubt the scriptures? Or am I going to doubt what I'm feeling right now? Because just maybe what I need to be doubting is that I see the whole picture. That maybe, just maybe what I need to start doubting is that I can see everything. And that what I'm experiencing in this moment is just full stop reality that actually there might be more to this story, that there might be more to what's going on. Instead of feeding my doubt and saying, see, look, I'm suffering right now. I'm going through this trial. See, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not good. Instead, what I need to do is is doubt my doubts, get in the Word, proclaim good news over myself, which says, does God care about me? Yes. That's why He came. That's why He died. That's why He rose again. He he died for me. He's proven that He cares about me. That when I was an enemy of His, He died for me. That I need to hold on to that in in the middle of the storm." It's this idea of, you know, if, if, we're, if our doubts and, and these sufferings and this church hurt and these legitimate questions are like a storm that, that's, that's it's coming over our boat. And there's a reality. We can either grab onto the sails, which are going to get tossed to and fro from wherever those winds go, or we drop our anchor, which would be like holding on to scriptures, doubting our doubts and say, no matter what comes, this is going to hold and I'm going to hold on to it. Because even if I'm getting slapped, sloshed around, this anchor is going to hold. There's a reality here of let us be a people who doubt our doubts, who take them and submit them to the scriptures, submit them to Jesus. Would we get in the Bible? Would we doubt our doubts? Would we five, would we pray? Would we be a people that echo what the Psalms and the prophets do constantly? This book is not full of people that just have it all together and don't ever have questions and don't doubt and and aren't wrestling at all. If you read through this, it's full of examples of people bringing their doubts to God, who are bringing their questions to God, who aren't stuffing it down but are actually bringing it. And I want to say that it actually bringing our doubts to God, that actually still getting in the script, pursuing God, praying, is actually a step of faith. It's actually a step of faith to bring our doubts to God in prayer. We see people in the Bible doing this all over the place. And I want you to feel empowered that you can do it today as well, to bring your doubts to God. Number six, I want us to pray, but then also embrace the mystery. That there is more to our faith than what we can see. There's more to our faith than what we can comprehend. And if we are looking for a faith that we can explain every single thing, where every single thing will make sense. That that, that will not be Christianity, I, I assure you. I remember Tim Keller once saying, if we worship a God who we never disagree with and that we perfectly understand at all times, we very well are probably worshiping a God made in our image. But I actually want to invite us to embrace the mystery that there are things about God as He is eternal and we are not, as He is is transcendent and we are not, as He is all-knowing and we are not, there will be mystery. There will be questions. And one way that we faithfully deal with our doubt is we embrace that. We embrace that there is more to God than we can comprehend. And I actually believe that that is good news. I don't want to worship a God that I can fully comprehend, that my finite little mind I can fully wrap my mind around, but God is greater. He is better. He is more beautiful. And number seven, so we'd be real. We'd be in community. We'd get in the Bible. We doubt our doubts. We pray. We embrace the mystery. And number seven, we wait on Jesus. We wait on Jesus. And I want to say this last one. It's key because at the end of the day, faith. At the end of the day, belief. At the end of the day, trust is about trust in a person. It's Jesus. This whole thing, like this, this whole thing, this entire church, is about helping you experience life in a real person, to know a real person, to trust in a real person, to love a real person, and his name is Jesus. And I love what Pastor John Tyson says. He's in New York City and he talks about doubt, deconstruction and faith. He says this up on the screen. He says, "I can't deconstruct my faith because it's not an intellectual construct. It's a covenant relationship with Jesus as a person. I can't deconstruct my faith because it's not an intellectual construct. It's a covenant relationship with Jesus as a person. I want to say, would we receive Jesus's invitation to come to him, to see him, to know him, and to experience life in him? Church, I I want to normalize that we would say we, we have legitimate doubts and we bring them into the light. But I also want to normalize that we would submit our doubts to Jesus, that we would submit our doubts to the Scriptures. I want to normalize that there's doubt in the room, but I also want to normalize that we don't just listen to our doubts, we preach good news to our doubts, that we don't just uh, be empathetic with our doubts. We actually, in love, point one another to Jesus in the midst of our doubts, that we love each other too much to let us sit in anything other than the truth of Jesus because He is the truth that sets us free. Would we love one another another enough to do this? Would Jesus be our anchor in the storm? Would he be our north star in the night? That even when our compass has lost its uh, magnus, even when our compass has gone awry, Jesus is the north star that is still true and still holds no matter what. What we see here in this last verse in that verse 29, we see that Jesus starts to turn the camera onto us. He said, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. And what we're going to see here also is that the author, John, continues to turn the camera to us as readers as well. So these last verses, let's look at verse 30 and 31. Are you tracking with me? We're still here? You are good? Verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So, in closing, church, what I wanna say is the point of this gospel account, the point of this story of us looking at Thomas, encountering Jesus, is that you would be like Thomas, that you and I, we would be like Thomas, believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord of our life, and have life in His name. Friends, I wanna say the scriptures are true, the scriptures are good news. And they're written so we can have confident belief in Jesus and have life in His name. And would we be a people that don't run from our doubts, but run to Jesus and His people with our doubts? Would we be a people that don't merely listen to our doubts, but we'd be a people that preach better news to ourselves than our doubts? Would we be a people that even through the pain, even through the questions, even through the hurt, even through the doubts, we wait on Jesus? We trust in Jesus. We build our life on Jesus. Would we be a people that believes that one day we will see Jesus' wounds? One day we will see Jesus' wounds. One day we will hear Jesus' voice. And one day we will join Thomas in our faith being made sight. One day we will see this. We will experience this. We will hear it. And we can have confidence in this good news today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And then we're actually going to do something unique around communion today. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I thank you that you do not shame Thomas. You don't scold him. You invite him in to trust. You invite him in to know you. You invite him in to touch, to see, and to believe. And Lord, you are giving the same invitation to us today that we would believe in you and experience life in your name. Lord, I pray for those who are doubting in this place right now, that, Lord, you would draw near to us. Lord, that them even just being here is a step of faith. Lord, would you bless that? Would you honor that? Would you speak life into that moment? Lord, I pray that we would be a people, as we talked about, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that be real, that be in community, that get in the Bible, that doubt our doubts, that pray, that embrace the mystery and that we ultimately wait on you, Jesus. We are a people of I believe, help my unbelief. And so we ask you uh, to empower us, Holy Spirit, so that we can doubt faithfully, so that we can honor you in the middle of the storm. Jesus, we need you, we love you, and we just say, help us. It's in your name we pray, amen.